This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with three for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. Beyond the pitch, beyond the results, we're here to connect fans, getting them to embrace the highs and lows of supporting your club because we're not just fans, we're a team. With two in three football fans having struggled with their mental health, we understand that life off the pitch can present its own challenges. That's why we're committed to ensuring you have the tools to stay connected with your friends and fellow supporters. Take a moment to connect with your mates. A simple text or an open conversation can make a world of difference. And if they don't respond right away, don't hesitate to follow up. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hey up, it's the No Near Never podcast. With your host, Jamie Smith. Hello and welcome to the No Night Ever podcast, I'm Jamie Smith and with me today are Natalie, James and Kevin to talk about the brilliant 2-0 win over Liverpool at Turf Moor in the Premier League on Saturday. We had to wait 10 games for our first win in the Premier League two years ago but this time just the two matches as Sam Volts and Andre Gray scored in a quite fantastic performance at Turf Moor. Natalie, um, just brilliant, how, how do you sum up the way Burnley played on Saturday? Just fantastic. I'm still incredibly excited about the whole thing. It, it was never in doubt. There literally was no period of that entire game where we felt uncomfortable. And we were in control from kickoff. We scored an only, uh, sorry, we scored an early goal. Um, we then had a bit of a chuckle amongst ourselves saying, oh, you know, we just need to hang on now for 83 minutes and we'll be fine. Um, we didn't need to do that. We played, um, I think I mentioned this last week, actually, that I felt that our um, early games in this campaign were very calm and very um, sure of themselves. And I think they, were, they showed that again on Saturday. They were incredibly composed, a very disciplined, very solid display. And for all the possession in the world and for all the long-range chances that that Liverpool um, subjected us to, we never, ever looked like we were going to concede and we never looked like we were going to lose that. And it's absolutely fantastic. What a performance. And more importantly, exactly how much of the credit are you taking? I am de- <laughs> I'm going to possibly take a quite substantial amount of it. It's true, though. You know, you jest, Jamie. And this is, uh, obviously, our regular listeners will obviously realise this, but Jamie hates the reverse psychology. <laughs> it drives him mad every single week. I've got but... more belief in the fact I had quite a bit of money on Liverpool to win because I was convinced uh-huh. we were going to lose and then we won. So I'm just going to have to keep betting loads of money on Burnley to lose every week now. Great. No, was it not? Um, was it not last? Did, uh, if I remember correctly, last season did you ditch uh, reverse psychology for the whole game, um, and we got thrashed, and then you brought it back and went twenty three games unbeaten. That's exactly. Yeah, I don't think it was just for the whole game. I think. I think I was literally doing Jamie's head in for about all around the Christmas period last year. And he was just like, stop it. You are, you're getting on my nerves. So I think we just kind of let it go. And, and I think probably because we had other things to, to worry about at the time, you know, it was coming up to Boxing Day. We were falling out of the playoffs nearly. And yeah, I think, oh, I'll tell you how it happened, actually. It was during the FA Cup game at Middlesbrough. And I think I'd, I'd binned reverse psychology and then, I think halfway through the first half, I tweeted, we are literally never, ever going to score another goal. And then bang, bang, and we won. So everybody started <laughs> tweeting saying, you're a psyche, you know, you should do this. So, And that's how it came back. And then, yeah, we went 23 undefeated. And stupidly, I, I relegated it to the bench for the Swansea game. So technically, that was my fault. <laughs> James, there's a lot of talk about all the possession Liverpool had, 80% possession, 26 shots or whatever it was. But for all their their control of the football, Burnley controlled the match, I felt, extremely well. As Natalie says, an away, an early goal, not an away goal, an early goal, very important. And I, I felt we were relatively at ease, considering Liverpool had so much of the ball. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd say there was periods, you know, where we did come under pressure. And I've seen a few people say that 
they don't think Tom Heaton had a meaningful save to make all game, but I actually thought he made two excellent saves. Uh, they were from range, but they were still you know, a bit on and that he, he had to get across and get to him, but he did excellently. But I'd say sort of particularly uh, Cotino, I think, really played into Burnley's planning that we just happily kept him outside the box and he happily obliged by sort of putting the ball 15 rows back in the bottom of the stand. Um, and I don't think that they had a lot of, you know, threat of really getting into the box, but particularly Sturridge sort of came so deep at times that he, you know, negated any chance of him uh, being a threat. Um, and I thought I was really mainly impressed with how we, we press people. And I thought George Boyd, obviously, we, we'd say a lot about him not necessarily uh, providing the flair we expect of him because we know he's got it in him. But uh, his running, you know, was was good and it sort of kept him to the channels. Um, I thought both full-backs were, were great at sort of containing people out wide and not really giving him a sniff to get into the box. Um, and obviously, the Dean Morney, I thought, was excellent. He must have covered... Uh, you know, a lot of miles, which considering he, he spent so much of last season uh, injured, it's good to see that, you know, his, his fitness is there this year. And then obviously both strikers um, took opportunities that were given to him. And I think for us, that's going to be key all season. If we get chances, we need to take them. Um, and I think, you know, Vox in particular took it spectacularly. Yeah, is that, that I think was... that, I think that was a, I think that was a positive after, because I think against Swansea, we, we put them under pressure. We, 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 we kind of didn't really take advantage of, the, of that pressure. Um, so that, that was really positive to, um, that we had, that we, we were able to, to create, create those openings and really take advantage of them both for both the goals. Yeah, um, I think I said, I think I said in last week's pod that, you know, we're getting too many chances for our strikers, you know, outside of the, the six yard box lines. And uh, this game, obviously we gave them two chances near the middle and they buried both. So, it was positive, definitely. Yeah. What I, what I, what I particularly enjoyed about the goals was that they were punishing mistakes, which I think you have to do in the Premier League. We've seen teams in the two seasons we've been in the Premier League before punish our mistakes. You make one mistake in the game sometimes and you lose the game 1-0. Obviously, they've given the ball away quite cheaply, although the more replays I see of the opening goal, the better I think Andre Gray actually does. It's not straight to him at all. He has a lot of work to do to to make that interception. Defoe does fantastically, but there's so many mistakes from Liverpool in the build-up to that goal yeah. as well. I think a really big part of it is that we forced the mistakes rather than just yeah, waiting absolutely. for them to happen. You know, I thought Henderson had a really bad game. He, he looked like he was being harried off the ball all the time, and you know there was a few passes that that he gave away to us, and then there was a couple that he was very lucky ended up with a Liverpool player, and it was all because of the you know the pressing, particularly from the two strikers who I think did an excellent job of. Um, you know, pressing on the, the centre backs and Henderson drop it when he dropped back. But obviously, also the two central midfielders as well. I think that yeah, I think and I think we we talk about how Burnley had so little of a possession and and we, we very clearly um, sat sat behind the ball for much of the game. But you look at both our goals and both goals came from very very proactive bursts forward. Um, Andre Gray uh, for the first one, very very keen chasing the ball down first option. Get it forward. Get, you know, wasn't looking to slow the game down or play it backwards or play it across. First thought was get it forward into Vokes. The second one, uh, Defoe picks up the ball pretty much outside, just outside our own area, and drives f- pretty much the entire length of the pitch forward with the ball. Um, which I think you know a, a lot has been said about the way we we played defensively after after our first goal uh, and sat behind the ball with with, uh, with those possession stats. Yeah, although Jamie said, uh, you know, we, we were punishing mistakes, but we were punishing mistakes because we've been very proactive in going forward, yeah, uh, which I think has probably been forgotten about a little bit. Um, on Defoe, um, as I've said, I, th- I thought it was a magnificent run for, for the second goal. He came in for, for Jones, who, who was obviously left to go to Sheffield Wednesday. And I think that run, there's, there's a lot of people saying Dave Jones wouldn't have made that run, and he wouldn't have, but they were saying it like he'd have got, won the ball on the edge of his own box and played it backwards. Uh, he he wouldn't have had the drive and aggression to take it on. It wasn't that he always plays the ball backwards. Um, under four though, Natalie, from a club record signing to have that sort of impact, although he only played fifty six minutes, presumably a fitness thing. What's your assessment of his his debut at Turf Moor? Really impressed. Um, he, as soon as he came on, it, it felt like that missing piece of of centre midfield clicked again. 
I likened it to last season when we started the campaign and we were struggling again, in, especially in central midfield. He's best when Joy Barton, isn't he? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. As soon as, as soon as Joy came on last season, we were like, ah, oh, that's what we've been missing. And I felt that again yesterday. Um, I do believe rather than a fitness thing, he did get um, a bit of a pull on his knee, he said in his post-match interview. Um, but he, on Claret's player, but he did say that it was absolutely nothing to worry about and he expects to be absolutely fine right. next Game week. I assume. Then, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'm done my job, I'm off. Um, I suspect you're right, Jamie. I suspect it's um, a little bit of a, um, a niggle based on his um, slight um lacking in fitness that's all um, but he was he was great at, and i think he he showed some real composure in that central midfield and and he he showed an att- attacking threat he was he had his head up all the time he was always looking for spaces to to um, pass the ball into he was he seemed to me to always be looking where the front two were seeing if he could create something um great signing um i would love to see another one come in um similar i think that will really set us up for the rest of the season but i am very impressed i'm really pleased we've got him yeah, absolutely. I, I couldn't have asked for more for a, a debut. It's just a, a shame that he couldn't do the nine minutes. Um, I think, I think particularly coming in as well, uh, not just new to Burnley team because we know particularly. I think particularly with Burnley team because the Burnley team is so well drilled. You looked at the way we defended, uh, defended Vigip, and it's so it, it it it's almost like it was a, a training ground exercise. Just how how well drilled the whole team is. So to come in, he's only been at the club a few days. To come in um, and be a part of that. But also, he's not just new to the club, he's new to English football. He's never played in England before. So to come in and, and, and feel so at home and, and have such an effective uh, role in an effective performance, I think is also very, uh, very encouraging. Yeah, what I also liked was the, the fact that we had to shuffle the midfield around. And anyone who's listened to the podcast before will know that I don't rate Scott Arfield as a central midfielder at all, but... He did his job absolutely perfectly. All right, it's totally different when you're defending a 2-0 lead to being proactive and trying to win a game. But I thought Arfield did really well. And Goodmanson, James, came on and slotted into the framework, as Dash likes to say, perfectly. And for me, I think he showed just about enough to maybe earn a start next weekend. Yeah, I actually thought Goodmanson you know, had a positive impact last week, though he was not likely given a, you know enough time uh, last time around, but this week I thought he came on and uh, you know did a really good job down the left hand side. And it's unusual for us to obviously see a naturally left footed player playing on the left hand side for Burnley. It's been a while since since that's happened, uh, but he looks really promising. You know, just to say he was in a, a side that got relegated from the Championship last season, it doesn't really seem to have daunted him that he's he's now getting time in the Premier League. Um, and obviously, as part of that substitution, Arfield moved into the middle, and I think it's worth mentioning that actually. You know, despite some people's uh, belief that he's absolutely not a central midfielder, I, I thought he put a decent shift in, and he kept up the you know the work of pressing and uh, making sure Liverpool didn't have time to to do what they want very well. Some people's belief, like mine, for, for one. Um, <laughs> to highlight the the strikers in particular, Kevin Sambolt's in particular, in particular, in particular, fantastic to see him score because. His Premier League season was ruined last time through injury. He missed almost the entire campaign. It obviously meant a lot for him. An, emo- an emotional moment, I think, for everyone. Yeah, and I think he's, he's spoken quite on a, quite a few occasions about just how crushing that injury was. Um, after last time, obviously, he was such a big part of our, our, our promotion two years ago. Um, and then to, to to miss out in the Premier League. I know he, I know he came back for a, a quite, played a few games towards the end of the season, but we, we know that he, he was nowhere near his best and he didn't score and even the start of last season he wasn't his best it took a few few months into last season to, to get back to the St. Volks we know um, so I think it's, it's, it's almost fitting that he was the one who scored uh, our first goal back in the Premier League and also for it to be such a, a meaningful one as well um, early early in the game at Turf Moor and you look at his face and some of the, the pictures and the, and the videos afterwards and he, he, was, he was absolutely delighted I'm sure yeah, obviously, any any Burnley player scoring in the Premier League, uh, particularly such a meaningful goal, is going to be delighted. But I, I think there was, he was especially delighted purely because of that 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 journey he's been on. I hate that word journey, but I think he really has been a journey, and he he's talked so much about wanting to to, to make an impact in the Premier League this season. Uh, and if he can pr- produce more goals like that, then he's going to have a very big impact. Yeah, I think it was it was vital for both strikers to score early in the season obviously last time we had 
Lukas Jukovic playing up front and Marvin Sardell came in and the longer it took, well, we still waiting for Jukovic to score a goal, but the longer it took, they lose confidence and start snatching at chances and they don't get in the right positions. And I think it was vital for, for Volts and Gray, who were so prolific, both of them last season. Really important for them to keep up that momentum and make sure they're going to keep the confidence up. Um, Natalie, on, on Gray in particular, I felt Liverpool were absolutely terrified of his his pace and we were talking about Liverpool's pace last weekend and in the end it was our players pace that had a really defining impact on the game absolutely I think um, Gray was a handful through the entire game and at times the Liverpool back four didn't know what to do with him but we did say that in the summer we almost said that we needed to rely on that pace throughout the the season to make sure we get um, the results we need to stay up Um, it's what I think we were probably lacking um, in the last campaign, the last Premier League campaign. We didn't quite have that strength up front. We had a little bit of pace, but we were missing Vokes. And we, you know, we didn't have those two big physical strikers up front. And Klopp said that himself in his post-match interview. Um, Gray is strong. He's fast. He's sharp. He's he's everything you want your striker to be. And he can be the difference between us staying up and, and going down. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I felt he scored one goal. He could have had a couple more just from his pace getting him into really dangerous positions and I think James the fact that we're going to have to play on the break so much this season Gray's an asset that we maybe just need to recalibrate a bit and adjust to playing on the break because we did that a bit last season but there were also a lot of games where we dominated possession maybe yeah but I think Gray does have a skill set that's that, that's there for the break uh, it was a bit disappointing I think he got one opportunity in the second half where it looked like he could be clearing and and Liverpool kind of crowded him out with three players, but I think part of it was that I don't know whether the moment sort of caught up with him and he sort of got the ball caught up in his feet. Um, but that'll come with time, obviously, and playing in front of the, you know, the crowd in the Premier League and and seeing how excited the crowd do get in a big game, you know, against someone like Liverpool, where he looks like he's in a good place to score. Um, but you know, we saw was it Bolton away where he, he took the ball over the top. And scored, you know, a great goal from a great pass. But that that shows really what we could do with him if we play on the counter the right way and you know play the ball over the top and let him use his pace. There was an opportunity late in the game where I think it was Lawton put a ball over the top, and the one of the god awful Liverpool centre defenders um, by sheer luck managed to to get a foot on it by lunging forwards. Um, but if he hadn't. I think Gray would have comfortably taken it. And it. It's about getting, I think, more of the other players to notice these opportunities to sort of try and spring it free <coughs> and, and use his pace to, you know, get a couple more goals on the counter. Defensively as well, Burnley were absolutely first class, barely put a foot wrong. It sounds like a weird thing to say when you've conceded 26 shots on goal, but so many of them were just hoofs from range because Liverpool had run out of ideas. Michael Keane, I thought, was absolutely immense, didn't put a foot wrong all game, it was such a fantastic performance from him um, but Kevin, the shape of the team was particularly notable, the way that with Sadio Mane not playing, Liverpool didn't have a winger and we were content to sit very narrow, invite the crosses knowing that Liverpool didn't really have a striker that was going to be a threat in the air Yeah, definitely, I think you um, yeah, you mentioned men about the shots, I think most of their shots were only shots in terms of uh, Going on the stats sheet at the end of the game um, because they were they were never going to uh, challenge us at all. It was it was purely I think it was just frustration at not being able to break through or would just have to hit it forward then and see what happens. Uh, but yeah, we, we we did defend very narrow. Um, and I think that's that's quite interesting because two years ago when we were Premier League we talked about how just how many goals we conceded from crosses and headers, uh, and I think it was the vast majority of the goals we conceded uh, were from headers, but. I think we had someone come on on the podcast halfway through the season. I can't remember who it was now, but he he talked about how actually that was we set up that way. We we defended very narrowly because we knew that we were very good um, in, in the air in the box, um, and it's, it's the same again. So I think what we did then two years ago, we, we encouraged teams to tack us uh, down the wings because we knew that once you get across him, that's what we're very good at defending, um, and it, it was the same again. Um, on Saturday, which I think was quite interesting, that we're using the same defensive approach. Even though we've got um, a, a different def- defensive team, I think pretty much 
pretty much the 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 entire back four um, is is different to what it was uh, two years ago. But so we're still using the same defensive technique, which I think was interesting, and hopefully um, it was it was very effective on Saturday. Hopefully it will continue to be so. Yeah, it will be interesting. To see. Obviously, Swansea's goal came from across, so we're obviously not all there yet. But I think it'll be effective against some teams and not effective against others to sit firmly on the fence. Um, we've talked about a couple of things different in in the team and at the club. Stephen DeFore arriving, but Natalie, one of the the major changes on Saturday was the the lack of goal music, which you obviously love. Did you manage to celebrate the goals okay without the music telling you what to do? <laughs> I did. I'm so gutted about this. I, I appreciate I'm the, probably the only person at the club because everybody seems to be delighted that it's gone. But I, I think it felt all right yesterday because we really did massively celebrate those goals. And it was the first goal, obviously, was really early on. So that was nice. And the second one, we felt like we were in dreamland. So I think just the, the complete... Um, enthusiasm for, for the goals made me forget that the goal music wasn't there. But, um, you know, when, when all these you know, home wins and away wins and we're nearly in the uh, Champions League places become kind of boring and we do it week in, week out, then I'll probably miss the goal music because I won't be as excited about the goals going in. That's obviously of you, not true. <laughs> I had visions of you still doing the dance, even though the music was not. <laughs> do you know what? And I, I do set myself up for these things on the podcast, but I think I, luckily I can laugh at myself. But I did for a brief second start doing that and I was like, started doing the dance oh, and I was like, oh, it's not there. I'm you should be on your phone, Natalie, and play, just stick your phone in the air and play, play the sound. <laughs> you jest, Kev, but I might do that. Oh, <laughs> One other little thing to touch on from the game, James, was we brought on a young player, which never seems to happen. Um, Aidan O'Neill making not just his, his Premier League debut, but his, his first team debut in a competitive game, I think, for Burnley. I hope that's right. 18-year-old Australian midfielder. Um, hopefully this lad's got a big future, but is it also a sign that there's still a bit of a lack of depth in the squad, that with Overstad not available for whatever reason... The only option in central midfield was was a teenager he's not played before. Um, potentially, but but the reviews I've heard of him are, are you know exceptional. He did do well in pre-season. I, yeah, I mean I didn't really see anything in pre-season. Um, that they're arguing maybe I should have got to Morecambe, but if I had a hovercraft, I probably would have gone. Um, but I, you know I'd heard that there was suggestions from some people that maybe he, he should be getting games. Um, you know, later on to, to get the experience because he really is that good. Um, and I think actually in Andre Gray's Twitter takeover of uh, the Burnley official account, someone asked, you know, who impressed you most of the young lads in, in pre-season? And he said, Aidan. Um, so, you know, clearly there's something there. Um, but it is, um, it is a bit different to Burnley the last couple of years where we've not seen a lot of young players come through uh, for first team appearances at all really um, so hopefully you know we, we see a bit more of him and uh, he continues to be um, you know continues to grow as a player uh, and becomes that you know that first breakthrough for us yeah we're certainly in need of that uh, you provided me with a nice link to the next bit of the podcast there James mentioning Andre Gray on Twitter I'm sure there's people out there rolling their eyes and saying, oh, I can't believe they're talking about this, but we had to talk about it. It's such a big issue, and I, I don't think we could have ignored it. Um, Kevin's written a piece that we'll put in the show notes, but Kevin, if I can come to you first, I'm sure people understand the background to the tweets already. They've seen screenshots and stuff already, but can you just tell us your feelings about this first? Uh, yeah, I think there were... I think there were, there were three things to this, and I think I, when, so. When I first saw the tweets, I think first of all, um, my first feeling was a bit it was quite quite gutting. Um, I'm a gay man. I'm married to another man, and it was um, yeah, it was almost it was it was quite surreal to read that from a player who who you you, you know can idolise for the last year or so, and it's been such a big part of uh, our success uh, over the last year. So it was come, it was almost how do you how do you feel? It was. Uh, yeah, first I really I, I tried to not, not to comment initially because I didn't really know how to feel. Um, I think secondly, I think you start to think about why, how, how, what happened, and it was it was a long time ago. Um, I think you he obviously had a, a difficult uh, past. He's been in, in a gang culture, 
Uh, and it's probably quite easy to see how that, that sort of attitude was um, encouraged um, in, in that sort of environment. And fair play to, to, to him, he's talked a lot um, about the way he's turned his life around um, since then. Um, and, and hopefully when he, when he says that this, these attitudes are a part of that and it's a big part of his, his past which he regrets, hopefully that is that, that is very accurate. Um, and I, I, I think there's two other things. I think one is I think a lot of fans have been trying to, to brush it under the carpet a little bit and to say that it was a long time ago, let's just forget about it. Um, I think the I'd club statement that, was was quite similar on that as well. Yeah. It seemed to be a bit, very much like let's move on from this as quickly as possible. Yeah, and I, I, I'd say that I think once you start doing that, you start you you get you risking trivialising it and, and and making it seem it's like it, it, it's okay and just, let's just forget about it. you know it's it's it's, it's something it's just a dirty secret. And we'll just forget it didn't happen. And I think you've got I think I think people don't understand just how how big an issue comments like this can be. Um, there was a study a couple of years ago that showed that just under half of, of young gay men have considered suicide, which is pretty shocking. Um, and then you've also got the, the situation in in um, in football where there's, there's pretty much no no gay figures at all in football. And you've, you know you've got the, the situation where you've, maybe you've got a young a young footballer who likes football and how does he interpret these comments? If he's really already feeling worried about his life and uh, and scared and ashamed comments like this even though they are old are still going to resonate with him in the same way as if they were they were quite new and i think that's i think it's important that we don't brush them away but we do um do address them uh, and hopefully the, the, the statement andrea put out was, was was decent hopefully we'll follow that up with some some action as well rather than just um saying i'm sorry yeah i agree completely action is the important thing now you've got to Andre Gray has to prove that he's not that person anymore. He can't just say it, and actions always speak louder than words. It's cliche, but it's cliche because it's true. Um, Natalie, obviously, this is a very difficult thing to try and talk about, but um, some of the responses from Burnley fans, Kevin's just touched on it. Uh, Burnley fans, similar to the the racism at, at Bradford that we had to talk about as well, very much don't talk about it. Let's just push it away and not bring attention to it that's surely not a healthy thing to do it's like kevin says it normalizes and trivializes it and surely you have to raise awareness of these things so that society can progress absolutely i completely agree with you jamie i understand the fear that some fans experience when this all came out yesterday and um, it came as a shock um, it came. It was very uncomfortable to look at, especially as Kevin rightly said, you know, in respect of a player who we'd all completely idolised to last season and, and so far this season. And and Burnley fans take players and the club to their hearts. You know, they, they're part of the community and they're part of us. To, to so to see such despicable tweets coming from one of our own was very uncomfortable. And I think I understand the natural tendency between, sorry natural tendency from some fans to want to protect what we've got, to protect our club and to make this go away as quickly as possible so that we don't get into any trouble or things aren't taken away from us or we're not punished in any way. Whilst that's an that's a natural human reaction to something like this, it's not an acceptable reaction. We have to face this head on and there's nothing we can do about the fact that this happened. Andreas come out himself and has made an apology and you guys have quite rightly um, pointed out that we need action to back up those words. It can't just be um, empty words. You know, apology. I think in this scenario isn't enough. I'm not in any way suggesting that we we hang this guy out to dry. You know, he needs. To, we just need some positive reinforcement of the words that he's come out with. But at the same time, it's not acceptable for us just to brush this under the carpet and say, "Oh, it's okay. It's gone away. Thank God for that." You know, we'll move on now. It's important to educate people, and I was disappointed to see so many of our fans who were making light heart of it, who were tweeting him, who were saying, you know, like making joke about it and saying, oh, brilliant, Andre, like, oh, you're so funny. And, oh, my God, you know, your, your Twitter's going to get deactivated. This this isn't a situation that you make a lighthearted situation out of. You don't joke about this. We should be quick to condemn him because it's unacceptable, the views that he held, and it was unacceptable to air them on a public forum. So I I agree with you. There is a, there's a fine balance 
we don't persecute the guy and we don't, you know, we have to support him in his bid to become a better person, which he said that he wants to be. And he's worked very hard to um, turn his life around and we should support him in that. But at the same time, we also need him to be accountable for what he's done. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think, I think, I think I agree. I think, I think what some people maybe fail to grasp is that you can, you can condemn the comments without necessarily condemning the man. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I think, yeah, people need to make that distinction. Um, one thing I'd like to point out as well, on top of what Natalie said about the response and tweets themselves, um, the response to the article that, that Kevin wrote, and we'll put it in the show notes so that you can read it if you haven't already, some absolutely despicable comments. Like, I don't even want to say what some of them are, but like, attitudes among our fan base obviously need to move forward several decades, I think, judging by the reaction to this. Um, James, lastly, we'll, we'll come to you on this briefly, if if you can. What's what's your view of the situation? Obviously, it's a very difficult one to talk about, but Andre Gray's put himself in quite a difficult situation. Obviously, it's very disappointing that you know he he wrote those tweets. You know, at the time, ever held those views, um, but at the same time, it it was such a long time ago, and it's <clears throat> you know he he's talked about his previous situation and you know how he was in a gang obviously he's got the the four inch scar to show for it and i think he really is living in a different world now so um i think it comes back to obviously what what others have said that you know it's maybe for him to to go do a little bit more than just the apology that um you know i I think if you read the apology and take it at face value it's i think it's quite possible to understand that it he has changed his mind he no longer holds those views um you know, he's been on such a journey since then. And I think part of it's, it comes down to similar to Joey Barton's troubles, doesn't it? That in the past, it, I think some of the stuff he's done and he's seen as the right thing to do, you know, as a product of his upbringing and uh, the surroundings he was in earlier in his life. Um, but Gray needs to obviously maybe go a bit further and, and show that he has changed and show that he's learnt from it. Um but I think obviously it's really disappointing that it came out on the day it did when uh, really we should be celebrating that he scored his first Premier League goal and that obviously we've got our first points of the season. Um, but, you know, footballs on Twitter, it, it's happened several times before and I'm sure it won't be the last time it happens. Yeah, it, it is a shame that it did overshadow it a bit, but then I'm also sure it wasn't a coincidence that Andre Gray was in the, the headlines and someone found a reason to knock him back down. Um, just lastly on this, obviously everyone at Northern Ever completely um, condemns Andre Gray's tweets, but I think it's fair to say we have to believe his apology, but I think we all want to see action back that up. Um, Kevin, just to round this off, what what would you like to see Andre do now? I know he's got an invitation from Stonewall FC, he has need to go and visit them and, and experience what gay footballers are like so hopefully he'll take them up on that is there anything else you think she'll be doing um yeah hopefully he will take i think that was a yeah they sent him a tweet asking him to come along to one of their training sessions so hopefully he'll take them up on that um and yeah i, I think i think he just needs to 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 use to use this as an opportunity to get the, the, the voice out there a little bit more um things like becoming uh, a, a big backer of things like the, the rainbow laces campaign and uh, and just being being a leading voice in, in, in terms of saying, look, I want to be a I want to be a metaphor for how how society's changed. I've changed my views, um, uh, and I want to be a metaphor for how football can change its views um, uh, and really be be that voice. Because I think there are there are very few voices who are making that message um, about about sexuality in football. So hopefully he can he can use this as a platform to do that. Yeah, so he's got an opportunity now to to do a lot of good and I think everyone hopes that he takes the opportunity and we'll move on from that now as, as I've said at the start of that little section I'm sure there'll be people saying we shouldn't have done it but I think we absolutely had to so if you didn't like it sorry <laughs> sticking with Twitter though uh, and we'll try and lighten the mood a little bit hopefully Natalie over to you for tweet of the week 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 
Indeed we do. This week, as you can imagine, our Twitter Clarets hashtag timeline was absolutely inundated with euphoric tweets about a fantastic win um, home to Liverpool. But one particular tweet caught my eye for reasons we have already discussed on the um, podcast earlier on now. This week's tweet of the week came from Lee Beckett, who tweeted us to say, Me and my dad always have a brew and a Kit Kat at half-time. We changed to a brew and a trio after list last week. Hashtag sticking to trios. So it's not just us who have our match day routines to make sure that that team gets those three points. Fans are ki- kicking on to this as well now. So good work. It's, uh, keep all your match day routines coming. Hashtag I've got a question. Sticking what, what, to trios. What, what is it? <laughs> what is a trio? It's like a chocolate bit. It's like an old fashioned chocolate biscuit type thing. Like a chocolate yeah, bar biscuit. Like it's a, the kind like of one you used to get in your pack lunch. It's almost like a club. <laughs> Next up for Burnley then, an EFL Cup tie, which is what they're calling the League Cup these days for no apparent reason. Um, Accrington Stanley away, very exciting draw. I'm sure it'll be a fantastic atmosphere, full house. Natalie, something to look forward to. Do you think Dash is going to rotate his squad for this one with a big game at Chelsea coming up? He's not one for changing the team a lot, but he has mixed it up for cup games before. Um, he has. I'm, I'm not entirely sure for this game he has an awful lot of options. I mean, if I guess he'll, he can change the wingers around a bit, give them a bit of a, um, a rest. But it's not like we have four or five players in every single position waiting in the wings and, and you know desperate for a game. So I'm not expecting too many changes. Also, on top of that, we just don't have as many games in the Premier League season as we do in the Championship. And our squad last season coped fine with the number of games plus the cup games as well. So Deitch does like to keep the same team and he likes them to play a lot of games together to keep that team bond in place and also to keep the fitness levels up. So actually, I wouldn't be surprised if the same team starts on Wednesday. Maybe it's a little early for Defoe. Uh, maybe I want to give him a week to recover from his first competitive game um, and see how that knee holds up. Um, but other than that, I don't expect too many changes. But I've got to say, this is our first competitive match with Stanley, um, I think, in both clubs' history. Um, and I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be a fantastic atmosphere. Certainly since the um, the reformed, I don't know if we played them. Um, to be fair, Nat- Natalie, you just, said, you just said you think it's the... Uh... The first competitive fixture with, with Stanley in both clubs' history. Like, <laughs> As with, was, one of the clubs had one. a competitive game, and the other one was just like, "Now this is a friendly." This doesn't count. Obviously, I didn't mean that. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. I think this People. this is an interesting one because we're only two games into the season, so you wouldn't think the players are tired, but you do have to manage manage the players' fitness levels, and if giving one or two of them the night off so they can be fresher for for Saturday is something we can do I think we should look into that I'd be surprised if um, Lukas Jukovic doesn't start I think this is an ideal opportunity for him to play against a team of his own standard <laughs> if I can get away with saying that maybe, maybe score Ouch. a goal James, <laughs> Burn. Yeah. James what, what do you think we're going to do do you think it'll be a mix of, of youth and experience Aidan O'Neill could come into the team I suppose if, if Defoe's not going to be available I'd strongly expect both Morney and Defoe to to get rested. Um, you know, particularly as I think maybe it wasn't intended that David Jones would leave. Um, you know, quite so quickly. I think he probably would have started on Saturday had he been still at the club because it sounds like they they wanted to, you know, introduce Defoe for fitness purposes. Uh, maybe a bit slower. Um, even though obviously he did pick up a knock on Saturday, which I imagine sped things up, but it did sound like they always intended that, you know, he'd play what he could play at 100%, and then we'd we'd take him off. But um, and obviously Marnie with his recent injury history, I think you'd be looking to not put too much stress on him. Um, you know, particularly a, you know a game against Accrington Stanley, not to belittle Accrington, but obviously he, we have got bigger fish to fry playing Chelsea on Saturday. So um, I'd expect Stanley. Who a day? Exactly. Yeah. Well, that, that pretty quickly since Brom has brought it up, we did play the defunct Accrington uh, ten times. Which oh really? Isn't it... many either. Uh, three wins each and four draws. So. I'm not sure the head-to-head record counts for an awful lot. <laughs> both, both scored. Both scored seventeen goals. Wow, that's good knowledge, that Bertie. 
Um, does anybody know what's wrong with Overstad? Why he wasn't in the squad yesterday? Because obviously he's very he could come into to midfield and give them the I rest. Do not, but I, because I, unlike you, I do no research before starting the podcast. Well, I just make it all. Well, obviously, I, I haven't this week either. Also, though, just give you an idea of how irrelevant uh, the stats on old Atkinson are. All those games were before nineteen hundred, so. <laughs> Just over so a hundred years ago. Even, that makes it even more impressive that this is the first time the clubs have met on a competitive game since then. If, if the last <laughs> yeah, one was pre nine hundred, absolutely. Essentially, um, yeah. Right, uh, so yeah, to get into the squad changes. No, I'd expect both to uh, to make way in, uh, but this, I think there'll still be some you know first teamers in there. Um, I think maybe uh, you know Duke up front, uh, but I don't know how Barnes is doing. I know he was meant to be close first week point. of the season, oh, but just missed out. So maybe it's a chance to give him a few minutes and, and see how his fitness is after a bit of a setback yeah personally uh, I think you, you you want to keep the defence together as much as possible especially when um, it's a defence that's worked so well I don't see any point to change that but, yeah, yeah. but uh, again though, Heaton, the, I don't uh, see there's any point in playing Heaton seems I think, perfect um, to give Nick Pope his debut to me um, and obviously I think Flanagan yeah. played for the the youth team there's a potential that he could maybe be on the bench he could maybe get a few minutes at the end uh, I don't know quite how his fitness is but if he, he played I think he started for the youth team in that some cup game or something um, so there's something Barnes. there yeah um, Barnes Barnes could be on the bench that'd be nice as well I think the only I, I agree with I think it was Natalie who said that um Maybe to four would drop out, and I, 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 I think the only one I really expect is um, Goodmanson to come in for De four uh, and put Arfield in the middle. Um, I, I, I think that's quite an obvious one to, to give Goodmanson a, a start and give De four a rest and a, a chance just to get up to speed with us after only just joining uh, the country um, last week. Yeah, it'll certainly be interesting. It's on on the Magic Lantern as well. If you don't have a ticket, I'm sure tickets will be like gold dust for that one. Um, looking further ahead then Chelsea away at the weekend Chelsea 2 for 2 under their new manager Antonio Conte both by a single goal both scored by Diego Costa in the last few minutes um, I tip Chelsea for the title so obviously I think this is going to be a very tough game um, but we have won at Chelsea relatively recently in the cup I'm not sure how much of um, an impact that might have on our thinking but it proves that we can go there and do it Um it's obviously going to be one of the tougher games of the season, Natalie, but are you confident after beating Liverpool that we can go there and get a result? I'm a lot more confident than I was before the Liverpool game. Um, I'm going to sound like Deitch when I say this now, but I, I think we do need to be very mindful of the fact that Saturday's gone now. Um, it was a fantastic result. It's got us three points on the board, and I think from a league position, we're probably now where we hoped we would be after two games I think if you looked at it you would look for a home win against Swansea yeah and then and lose at home to to um to Liverpool or maybe even depending on the Swans that turned up maybe we we thought we might have a point on the board so we certainly equal if not ahead where we thought we would be but every single game is a brand new challenge and we need to go to Chelsea on Saturday with the view that we've got a complete clean slate we can't we can't be overconfident after a result so we can't let that discipline go and we can't become complacent but then similarly we should also take the positives from the game and go where with with the confidence that we can compete in this division being away from home at Stamford Bridge is going to be very very tough Um, I I don't know Um, who knows I'll ask you for a prediction just yet so you don't have to be (laughs) a reverse psychology spiel don't worry uh, another game, James, where the, the, opposite, the opposition is almost certainly going to guarantee uh, dominate possession. And a little bit of needle also, although the manager's changed in that Diego Costa's up front and he had that running with various players the last time we played them in the Premier League. And also Nemanja Matic, who Ashley Barnes had that horrific pass on. Yeah, no, I, I think it's going to be particularly tough. Why you are back Chelsea for the title, though. Um, I don't think the early season form has been that, you know, that that stunning really. Obviously, having to come from behind um, last week, well, this weekend just gone. Um, but it's obviously going to be a tough one. It's going to be our first away game of this season. Um, obviously, it's a big club, uh, a place that's you know won a few Premier League titles recently, and it, it'll be difficult, I think, for some of the players maybe uh, mentally sort of going to that sort of place. Um, I think you can almost say that 
maybe being in the Premier League doesn't quite sink in when you're playing the games at home. Uh, it's a little bit different, obviously, the familiar environment. So maybe going to one of the big boys' grounds could be, you know, a little bit of a, a daunting experience for some of the lads. But um, if we play the way we did on Saturday, then I think there's no reason that we can't, you know, be really difficult for Chelsea to break down. And uh, I think that's going to be key to our season is maybe it is going to be difficult uh, in some games to to score and, you know, get chances. But if we can be really tough to break down, then obviously people can't beat you if they can't score. So, um I think we've just got to stick very, with that Very wise point there. <laughs> People can't beat you if they can't score. Very, very wise. Um, Kevin, before the season, this is probably one of the games that I would argue we'd need to shift from the 4-4-2 from and maybe pack the midfield. But having seen the way we defended against Liverpool with the two banks of four, does that show that the, the 4-4-2 can work against the bigger teams? Um, yes. Um, and... I think actually, I think the way we, I think the way we play, actually, is better suited to playing the, the the bigger teams and the better teams in the league than it is the the weaker teams. And I think uh, the way we, I think you look at the Swansea game and the and the Liverpool game, um, and I think the, the way our team and our shape, the shape of the team set up was much more suited to that Liverpool game. Uh, okay, we were helped by being able to go ahead so early and being able to sit back after that, but it was so effective. And you look back to two years ago in the Premier League and some of our most impressive results and performances were against some of the top teams. We uh, played very well against United home and away. Um, we did very well against the, against City home and away. Um, we played well at, at Chelsea. So this is not actually one... I'm actually quite comfortable with the way we're going to set up in against the big boys. It's more of a... The, the likes of Swansea, where I think we can be a little bit more flexible, but these are the games we're actually having that very rigid system uh, where everyone's completely drilled, everyone knows exactly what we're doing, and the way we settle down is very difficult to break down. I think actually it's against the likes of Liverpool and Chelsea where that can probably perform its best. That's a good point. I hadn't thought of it that way. Give us a prediction then. You sound quite confident. Are you going to back that up with a confident prediction? Oh, um,. I think, like Liverpool game, the opposition, Chelsea are going to be very strong favourites, of course. Um, I, I, I think we can get. A, I think we can keep a clean sheet. I think we're going to go for a nil-nil. Oh, exciting! I look forward to watching that one. <laughs> James, you go next. Andre a hat trick. Uh, no, I, I think I'm going to go <laughs> around to what I just said, and uh, you know, if teams can't score past you, they can't beat you. So I think we're going to. Are you going to print a nil-nil as well? Bloody hell. Yeah. <laughs> Natalie, give us some goals. Well, <laughs> I've got a really bad feeling about I'm, I'm Saturday. I'm just going to put my headphone down and walk away for a couple of minutes. <laughs> we are going to Stamford Bridge on Saturday against a world-class side who are just going to run absolutely right around us. There will be goals, Jamie. I'm going to give you goals. We're going to get beat at least 4-0. At least I just 4-0. cannot... At least, I, I, it's going to be an absolute riot. I, I, I think it's going to be a shocking afternoon, and I'm, I'm terrified. So, but just to clarify, um, the three panelists have predicted Burnley to score zero goals between them. <laughs> Saturday's game. At, at God, the none in ever podcast is so negative. No negative. Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. No um, negative. No negative. <laughs> no What? <laughs> we'll have to cut that out. <laughs> Can't say that. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> I, I don't want to write off on Graham moment. <laughs> Bit of an Andre Gray moment. Let's just brush that one under the Did carpet. Did Kevin just say what I think he just said? <laughs> almost. No, it just almost. sounds like it. <laughs> it was very close. That. Um, Is that your Jeremy Clarkson moment? Okay. <laughs> Jeremy Clarkson or Andre Gray, I'm not sure which he was. I'm going to try and rest I, I control. No, I meant to say no, no negative, but I missed off the tip. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to rest back control of the podcast now. I don't want to end on predicting 2 0 nil so... We'll predict Stanley as well. Um, surely some calls in this one, Kevin. It's not going to be 0-0 at Stanley, surely. Well, you know, they're quite hard to break down. <laughs> and uh... <laughs> uh, No, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go for... I think it'll be a really good... I'm going to go for the opposite. I'm going to go 3-2 Burnley. 3-2. Exciting times. Andre Gray hat-trick in this one, James. I, I fancy a Lucas Jokovic hat-trick in this one. Um, well, I, I think they could be goals galore, but unfortunately, I'm not sure Andre will uh, be getting a start. So, 
I can't go for the traditional Andre Gray hat trick, but I will go for the Lukas Jukovic hat trick. Yes, yes, be some good odds on that. We'll have to get Kevin to chase up the odds on that one. Um, have you got a bad feeling about this one, Natalie? No, I've got a good feeling about Stanley. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do a social experiment here. I'm gonna prove out the exactly how it's significant the reverse psychology feature is to our season. Testing and if this, if we get beat at Stanley, it will just prove it. So yeah, it will be an absolute riot on Wednesday. We will score. It's gonna I'm be a gonna riot. Say, yeah, no, it's gonna know, a goal ticket. riot. Um, I think it's going to be four one. Stanley. <laughs> so Burnley, glad to clarify that. Better clarify that. Excellent. So yeah, Stanley up next on Wednesday at whatever the Crown Ground is called, sponsorship wise, this season. And Chelsea away. It's the Wham. It's the Wham. I was going to say. We have missed this opportunity. She's the best football ground name ever. It so is. That's awful. Um, I'll so, put yeah. you some one bars in your trio packs for next week, listeners. <laughs> no, can I clarify? I'm not sending them to all the listeners to the panel. <laughs> So that was the No and Never podcast. I've been Jamie Smith. Thanks to Natalie, James and Kevin for joining us. We'll be back next week to talk about the game at Stanley and the game at Chelsea. Hopefully more wins to talk about and a win in the Premier League to talk about. But that's it for this week. Please get in touch if you've got any feedback. The email address is podcast at net. You can also tweet us at net. Please get in touch with any questions, feedback, whatever you want to do. So thanks for listening and we'll be back next week. Goodbye. That's sort of sad. I've never had a, I've never had a trio in my power. Bring back trios. Just to get breakaways. <laughs> I, I, I need to find a trio now. <laughs> trio's big because it doesn't sound no, like no, 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 no. breakaways. Do you get yeah, three or is it just one? Yeah, they're in they're in three little squares all stuck together. This is exciting. This is exciting. It is. I'll like send I'll send the sure. panel some for next week's podcast when we record. I'll go to the shop and I'll send you all them so we can have. That better not be an empty promise. <laughs> you got to no, make a promise like that. I'm not falling for it. Um... Editor, can you please edit that out? <laughs> Brilliant. What type of Kit Kat was it though? Was it the four fingered Kit Kat they used to have? Because I mean, it, it, to me, it doesn't sound like the trio is any bigger than that. I, I think they've downgraded. Depends. I don't. I maybe think, they share I think the Kit Kat. Good. I think we should move away from Kit Kats and trios. To be honest, there's more football to talk about. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Open them up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.